It's nine after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News. My goodness gracious. The Kavanaugh hearings start with reckless abandon today. Let's listen to some of the protests earlier today before we get into this. He was supposed to testify this morning and it got done. Now, listen, if you're a Democrat listening right now, I want to prove to you with only about three sentences, three sentences at most, that the Democrats today were engaged in theater they were not serious about stopping Brett Kavanaugh. They're playing you, and you need to understand that. Let's listen to some of the protests first, and I'll explain. Here's a, it just, this was put together earlier today by Mitch McConnell's office highlighting some of the protesters. Um, it, it shows you just what they put up with today in the committee hearing. This is not Kamala Harris and Cory Booker. This is the actual protesters, including Linda Sarsour and others. What we've heard is the noise of democracy. It is not mob rule. My colleagues, Chairman, I could just respond. Mr. Chairman, if I could just respond. Chairman, if we could just respond to that. Mr. Chairman, I, I appeal to be recognized on your sense of decency and integrity. We cannot possibly move forward, Mr. Chairman. I, this hearing should I know be postponed. Chairman, I move to adjourn. Directly from Judge this is the execution of a strategy by Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. The Democrats right out of the box. Delay the hearing, postpone the hearing. You're not being fair. It's all about politics. It's Alice in Wonderland. President Trump and the Russian investigation. Watergate. You only have to look at Watergate. Watergate. You're like the Forrest Gump of Republican politics. And I didn't vote for Jeff Sessions. President Donald John Trump. Donald John Trump. You're smart. And you're, and you're a fundamentally decent, good person. As I was saying, and it's... What we've heard is the noise of democracy. It is not mob rule. Right. Yeah, okay, so I lied. There, there were some Democrats in there, but they sounded just like the protesters. It really is ridiculous. All right, let me, let me explain to you in just a, a couple of easy sentences to understand that what you saw today from the Democrats was all theater. The Democrats really are not trying to stop Brett Kavanaugh. And I know some of you Democrats think they are, but, but let, let me let me start here with this. The Senate has Rule 26, which states that no committee can continue operating after two o'clock in the afternoon if any senator objects unless the majority and minority have agreed otherwise. Two. Democrats this morning claimed they wanted to suspend and stop the committee hearing because, among other things, they had not had time to review the latest round of documents that came from the White House and the Bush lawyers from when Kavanaugh worked for Bush. Sentence three. At no time today did the Democrats invoke Rule 26 even though there was no agreement between the majority and minority 
to continue committee meetings. Three sentences. You got that? Three sentences. Rule 26 says no committee can continue to meet after 2 p.m. if any senator objects unless the minority and majority have agreed otherwise. There was no agreement between the majority and minority. And the Democrats never invoked Rule 26 to stop the hearing, even though they said they wanted to stop the hearing. You, the Democrats, are being played by your own side. So, I mean, listen to, to Dick Blumenthal of Connecticut. Chairman, I ask to be recognized under Rule 4. Rule 4 states, the chairman shall entertain a non-debatable motion to bring a matter before the committee to a vote. If there is objection to bring the matter to a vote without further debate, a roll call of the committee shall be taken and debate shall be terminated if the motion to bring the matter to a vote without further debate passes with 11 votes in the affirmative, one of which must be cast by the minority. I ask for a vote on my motion to adjourn under Rule 4, Mr. Chairman. These are rules that we are obligated to follow. The chairman has no right, with all due respect, to simply override them by fiat. We uh, we are obligated. We are obligated by that rule in executive session. We're not in executive session. Uh, yeah, beat down there. But look, look, look what Blumenthal did. Blumenthal offered up Rule Four, which requires a committee. It's in executive session. That's actually in the rule. Which Blumenthal left that line out. They weren't in executive session. Executive session is not when they're com- uh, considering uh, someone before the committee, but when they're there just together uh, without taking testimony. That's not executive session where they were today because they were taking testimony. Nonetheless, uh, Blumenthal left that out, but he cited Rule 4. Blumenthal never cited Rule 26. He clearly knows the rules. He read Rule 4. Kamala Harris knows Rule 4. Cory Booker knows Rule 4. Diane Feinstein knows Rule 26. Kamala Harris knows Rule 26. Cory Booker knows Rule 26. Dick Blumenthal knows Rule 26. They never brought up Rule 26. This was all theater. This was all a complete kabuki theater where the Democrats are trying to play to their base without actually stopping the Brett Kavanaugh nomination. You are being played if you are a Democrat. You are fundamentally being played if you are a Democrat. I mean, that is that is just what's going on here. Um, it, it is, it, it's really kind of funny how people are buying it too. I mean, you will notice that the three members of the committee who raised them, the White House, by the way, kept kept uh, running tally today on all the objections. And the three Democrats who made the most objections were Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut, Kamala Harris of California, and Cory Booker of New Jersey. All three of them are potential Democratic nominees for president. All three of them want to run for president, even Dick Blue, Blumenthal, who lied about his time in Vietnam. They all want to run for president, and they're the ones who made the biggest objections today. I mean, the, the whole thing is laughable. The The whole thing. I mean, it, it just listen to this exchange with the Democrats. It's just obstruct, 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 obstruct. But again, it's all theater. None of them invoked Rule 26. There was no agreement between the majority and minority. They screamed about the documents, and I'll give you the truth about the documents here, but listen to this. Has gone through them. But, sir, then why did you ask for the White House counsel documents? Senator, they were not germane to this hearing. Why would you even ask for them? Senator Feinstein. For the record, that's a rate of 7,000 pages per hour. That's right. superhuman. Yeah. 
They're amazing. They're amazing. <laughs> Mr. Chairman, yes, if I ahead. may, yeah. um, I've been through nine Supreme Court hearings. Is this your opening statement? It's part of it. Why don't you make your opening statement? Shall I? Yeah, would you please? <laughs> Mr. Chairman, I have an opportunity to respond to my colleague from Texas because he is directly challenged. I said you're out of order. Well, Mr. Chairman, I ask in the process of regular order an opportunity to respond to what I believe was a personal I'd like to have you give Senator Feinstein the courtesy of listening to her opening statement. Well, I was just going to say some things, um, and you heard that this is my ninth hearing. <laughs> They're children. The Democrats, all they have left is theater. And again, none of them, it got to two o'clock this afternoon. You heard Brett. I actually thought it was Hannity just running it. I didn't realize he was, he was still, they put it off this afternoon. I, I had to go get the kids this afternoon and hadn't been able to pay attention to his opening statement this afternoon. And I just assumed they were going to put it off because I assumed the Democrats were going to invoke Rule 26 and they were going to shut it down at 2 o'clock. They didn't shut it down at 2 o'clock. They continued on. If the Democrats were really serious about obstruction, if the Democrats were really serious about stopping this so they had time to review the documents, if the Democrats were really serious, they would have invoked Rule 26. And they did not because they're not serious about stopping Brett Kavanaugh. All they care about is running for president and grandstanding. It was pretty obvious today. It's 26 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, a quick check of the radar here for everybody. Uh, you are good until you get down south of Versailles, um, or when you get... North of Gainesville, there's a little rain, some really heavy stuff uh, along Lake Hartwell. But in the listening area, we are good for now. Um, even though we got some of the, the passing waves, I guess, of what's going to be a tropical storm when it gets on shore yesterday. Just randomly, it just all of a sudden, yeah, we were in Carrollton for the weekend at my in-laws, and it was sunshiny, and all of a sudden, just pouring down rain. It's still sunshiny. Same thing happened yesterday. It was weird. Um, it, 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 housekeeping note here. This is important. Uh, Kevin Gillespie, the great chef who has a fantastic restaurant revival over in Decatur. He is reopening his beer garden called communion Saturday, September 8th, uh, for football season. It's only going to be open on weekends for football season, which is good. Eater Atlanta. Uh, you can go to atlanta.eater.com. They have a list, the best sports bars in Atlanta to watch college football. Uh, number one is the Tavern at Medlock on uh, Medlock Bridge. Uh, way up there, by the way, in, near the Johns Creek area. Uh, Clay Sports Cafe on Roswell Road, they list as number two. And number three, I've been meaning to go by here and I have not. It's at the Battery. It's Sports and Sh Social at the Battery. I need to go by there. I, I also need to go to more Braves games. I, I've been to one this year. My buddy Justin took me to one. I need to go. Nonetheless, um, there you have it. You can go to atlanta.eater.com if you want to find the, the list of the best sports bars to watch college football. It is back. God loves us again. College football returns. The NFL returns this coming week. I've got my direct TV package ready to go now. The phone number for you guys, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. We need to talk about the documents. It is true. The Bush White House, through the National Archives, released 42,000 documents at the last minute uh, with Brett Kavanaugh. Um, but 
The Republicans had 15 staffers pouring through the documents over the weekend. The Democrats refused to send anyone. They wanted the issue. They didn't actually want to look at the documents. Uh, What about all the other documents? What about the ones they're not releasing? We'll talk about them when we come back. It's 37 after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Uh, The Democrats are screaming transparency over Kavanaugh. They say that there are a lot of documents, over 100,000 documents, that they want to see, that they haven't seen, that the White House isn't giving them. This sounds really good. Except like the Democrats saying they wanted to stop the hearing and refusing to invoke Rule 26, which would have shut the hearing down, this is all theater. Let me give you the facts. This isn't my spin. This is fact. The White House, this White House, has given the United States Senate more documents about Brett Kavanaugh than any White House has ever given about any Supreme Court nominee. This White House, this weekend, handed over 42,000 additional documents. Republicans allocated 15 lawyers to spend the entire weekend reviewing them. Democrats refused to send any lawyers to review the documents. This White House has not handed over classified information related to some of Brett Kavanaugh's legal advice to the president, George W. Bush. No White House has ever handed over that information. What this White House has done is it has tried to accommodate Democratic requests and redact information if the Democrats actually requested the documents. The Democrats asking for these documents have not actually asked for the documents. They've gone on television and said they've wanted them. They've gone to the community hearing and said they've wanted them. They've gone to the floor of the Senate and said they've wanted them. They've sent emails to their supporters saying they have requested them. What the Democrats have not actually done is sent a request to the White House asking for these documents. It hasn't actually been done. Now, I know you think it's been done because the Democrats have been telling you it's been done, but they literally have not sent that. The only Democrat who has is Amy Klobuchar and Charles Grassley, the chairman of the committee, worked with Klobuchar and sent the request to the White House. And guess what? The White House sent the documents. They redacted key portions of them. But they sent the documents Klobuchar requested. The other Democrats haven't actually requested the documents. I know they keep saying they have, but they haven't actually requested them. Now, there are some documents, as I said, the White House refuses to hand over. They relate to advice Brett Kavanaugh gave President Bush as the president's lawyer. This is not without precedent. The Obama White House refused to give any, dem- any documents to the Senate related to Elena Kagan's time as Solicitor General? Zero documents. Again, the Trump White House has given the Senate more documents about Brett Kavanaugh than any Supreme Court nominee ever in the history of the Republic. The Obama White House refused to give the Senate a single page 
from Elena Kagan's time as Solicitor General. Why? Because attorney-client privilege. She was advising the president on legal strategy. These are the same documents that the Trump White House is refusing to hand over to the Democrats. They were fine with it when Elena, when the White House wouldn't give it for Elena Kagan. They are not fine with it with Brett Kavanaugh. Again, it's because the Democrats don't actually want the documents. What they want is the issue. They want to be able to campaign. They want to be able to incite their base. They want to be able to inflict damage on Republicans at the ballot box. They think this will help them, but it's not true what they're saying. It is a lie. You are being lied to. In the same way, let me repeat this because it has to be repeated. It needs to be pointed out. There is no agreement between the majority and the minority on the conduct of the Kavanaugh hearing. That means that under the Senate rules, Rule 26, the Senate Democrats, a single member of the Senate, Robert Byrd of West Virginia used to be famous for doing this, a single member of the United States Senate can force the Judiciary Committee to suspend its business at 2 p.m. any day of the week that the committee is meeting in the absence of an agreement between the majority and minority leaders. There is no such agreement between the majority and minority leaders. Any Democrat today could have gone to the floor of the Senate and filed a Rule 26 objection to the committee meeting and shut it down. They could have shut it down before Brett Kavanaugh made his opening statement and given him all that airtime tonight. And they didn't do it because they're not interested in stopping Brett Kavanaugh. They're interested in whipping their base into a frenzy. When Republicans do this, when Donald Trump does this at his campaign rallies, the media calls him out. The media says that he is inappropriately whipping people into a frenzy, that he is trying to create people who live by a victim mentality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The Democrats did that today, and no one in the media pointed any of this out. I am the only person I know of who is pointing this stuff out this afternoon. They didn't request the documents they claimed to have requested, and they could have stopped the committee meeting from happening, and they didn't because they're not telling you the truth. Some of the best comments that came out of today were from Ben Sass. Let's listen to him. So the question before us today is not what does Brett Kavanaugh think 11 years ago on some policy matter. The question before us is whether or not he has the temperament and the character to take his policy views and his political preferences and put them in a box marked irrelevant and set it aside every morning when he puts on the black robe. The question is, does he have the character and temperament to do that? If you don't think he does, vote no. But if you think he does, stop the charades. Because at the end of the day, I think all of us know that Brett Kavanaugh understands his job isn't to rewrite laws as he wishes they were. He understands that he's not being interviewed to be a super legislator. He understands that his job isn't to seek popularity. His job is to be fair and dispassionate. It is not to exercise empathy. It is to follow written laws. Contrary to the onion-like smears that we hear outside, Judge Kavanaugh doesn't hate women and children. Judge Kavanaugh doesn't lust after dirty water and stinky air. No, looking at his record, it seems to me that what he actually dislikes are legislators that are too lazy and too risk-averse to do our actual jobs. It seems to me that if you read his 300-plus opinions, what his opinions reveal to me is a dissatisfaction, I think he would argue a constitutionally compelled dissatisfaction, with power-hungry executive branch bureaucrats doing our job when we fail to do it. And in this view, 
I think he's aligned with the founders. For our Constitution places power not in the hands of this city's bureaucracy, which can't be fired, but our Constitution places the policymaking power in the 535 of our hands because the voters can hire and fire us. And if the voters are going to retain their power, they need a legislature that's responsive to politics, not a judiciary that's responsive to politics. It seems to me that Judge Kavanaugh is ready to do his job. The question for us is whether we're ready to do our job. Amen and amen. More on Ben Sass when we come back. It's 54 after the hour, and I just so happen to be Eric Erickson. The phone number here is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. want to play one more snippet from Ben Sass here from the uh, Brett Kavanaugh opening today. It's pretty obvious to most people going about their work today um, that the deranged comments actually don't have anything to do with you. So we should figure out why do we talk like this about Supreme Court nominations now? There's a bunch that's atypical in the last 19, 20 months in America. Senator Klobuchar's right. The comments from the White House yesterday about trying to politicize the Department of Justice, they were wrong and they should be condemned. And my guess is Brett Kavanaugh would condemn them. Um, But really, the reason these hearings don't work is not because of Donald Trump. It's not because of anything the last 20 months. These confirmation hearings haven't worked for 31 years in America. People are going to pretend that Americans have no historical memory, and supposedly there haven't been screaming protesters saying women are going to die at every hearing for decades. But this has been happening since Robert Bork. This is a 31-year tradition. There's nothing really new the last 18 months. So the fact that the hysteria has nothing to do with you means that we should ask, what's the hysteria coming from? The hysteria around Supreme Court confirmation hearings is coming from the fact that we have a fundamental misunderstanding of the role of the Supreme Court in American life now. Our political commentary talks about the Supreme Court like there are people wearing red and blue jerseys. That's a really dangerous thing. And by the way, if they have red and blue jerseys, I would welcome my colleagues to introduce the legislation that ends lifetime tenure for the judiciary. Because if they're just politicians, then the people should have power and they shouldn't have lifetime appointments. So until you introduce that legislation, I don't believe you really want the Supreme Court to be a politicized body, though that's the way we constantly talk about it now. Amen and amen. Now, speaking of the politicization of this, Chuck Todd from NBC has a piece out today in The Atlantic essentially saying that The reason the media is under attack today is because of an orchestrated campaign over decades by Roger Ailes of Fox News. I'm actually going to be on Meet the Press this Sunday with Chuck Todd. Um, Awkward a little bit. I, I disagree with him some, although he makes some points I think conservatives should be careful about dismissing. But, but there was an event today at the Kavanaugh hearing that shows why Chuck wasn't quite right that there is real left-wing media bias. It happened at the hearing, and it started to become a really big story today until a lot of conservatives pushed back. I'll tell you about it when we come back. Liftoff, we have a liftoff. 
It's nine after the hour on the nose. I'm Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's evening news on WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB talk radar in our area is clear. I need to get into this Chuck Todd piece at the Atlantic and I have the perfect opportunity to tie topics together. Between Brett Kavanaugh's hearing today and this piece from Chuck Todd. Chuck Todd, uh, his thesis is that um, Roger Ailes in the 90s began an ongoing campaign to undermine the media and claim that it was biased and get conservatives on board Fox to launch a sustained war against the media and truth. That, that's basically it. Now, full disclosure, I'm, I am on Meet the Press on occasion. I'm supposed to be on Meet the Press this coming weekend, and I know and like Chuck Todd. Uh, I, I think Chuck, as far as people in the media goes, tends to be more fair than most. He and guys like Jake Tapper and uh, John King and others, who it's, it's kind of funny to watch conservatives, uh, Trump supporters, assail them now when during the Obama administration they were championing these guys as holding Obama accountable. It's, it's kind of funny how the tables have turned now. Um there was a moment today in the Kavanaugh hearing, and I need to just play for you again. Well, no, I'm not going to play for you the, the protest montage. But as you are aware, there were numerous protesters today, including women dressed up and the the handmade tail costume which is probably the most elitist protest you can imagine uh, because they're inspired by a subscriber based TV show that most Americans will never see it does not get more privileged elitist white liberal than to dress up in handmade tail costumes and before you like somebody from 11 alive when I put that on Twitter says it's based on a book I read the book and everybody read the book in high school baloney the book the handmade sale has only sold 650,000 copies worldwide ever. Most of those uh, to colleges for college students, not high school students. And the only people who like it is a garbage book. It is a garbage trash book. The handmade tale is a garbage. I have read it twice and I had to read it twice for two feminist professors in college. And yes, I have read it twice. It is a garbage, humorless book that painted a dystopian picture of the Reagan era, for God's sakes. That's how wacko the book is. The only people who like The Handmaid's Tale are feminist women and gender studies professors and those who wish they were women and gender studies professors. No real person actually likes The Handmaid's Tale. Garbage people like The Handmaid's Tale. So all these protesters for The Handmaid's Tale show up with the red outfits and the little white caps, and they're not doing it based on the book. That's nonsense to say they're doing it based on the book. That book has been around since the 80s, and no one has ever dressed up in these red costumes until the stupid TV show on Amazon came out that no one except left-wing, wackadoo, elite, rich, white women watch, and they're out there doing these protests. Oh, it's based on a book. No, it is a pretentious, elitist protest and the fact that you can tell that we don't live in this dystopian um, era out of the handmaid's tale is that they could do the protest nonetheless there was a scene today where fred gutenberg after all of the protesters fred gutenberg one of his child died 
and the uh, shooting in Florida at, at the high school in Florida. He, with the Associated Press snapping pictures to make sure it got, got a picture, he tried to shake hands with Brett Kavanaugh. There had been, by this time, more than two dozen protesters thrown out of the event. Increasingly disruptive. And Brett Kavanaugh's security detail stepped in and pulled Brett Kavanaugh away in case this guy was one of the protesters. And he ran out to his Twitter account and said, Brett Kavanaugh refused to shake my hand when I introduced myself. And the Associated Press, coincidentally, the Associated Press was right there to snap the picture of Brett Kavanaugh seemingly refusing to shake the man's hand, never mind the security, never mind the protesters, never mind any of that. The media immediately blew this up into a story. (gasps) Brett Kavanaugh refuses to shake the hand of a man whose son was murdered. Completely devoid of the context, completely devoid of the security concerns, completely devoid of the concerns about protesters, completely devoid of of the concern that this man was able to get through the security to the front to try to shake his hand to cause a scene. The media made this a big story. Don't tell me that Roger Ailes had anything to do with that. One of the mistakes that I think Chuck Todd makes in his piece today, and it's actually a piece I wish you would read. The subtitle in the picture of Roger Ailes immediately made conservatives attack it, and I understand that. But I got to tell you that I I think what he gets wrong is, is he says essentially that Roger Ailes concocted this idea of a liberal media bias and played on it. I don't think Roger Ailes concocted it. Conservatives have long known there's a liberal media bias. There is a liberal left-leaning media bias. When I first got my start in the media, I was recruited by MSNBC to blog the election in 2004. Now, this is, there was a time MSNBC tried to play it straight. They, they were left of center, you and I would say, but they believed they were playing it straight. I'll never forget, I met Pat Buchanan. Always wanted to meet Pat Buchanan, and I introduced him. There were th- there were three of us who were, high- we weren't paid, but we were brought up, flown to New York, first class, put up in a nice hotel, and, and we blogged the election for MSNBC. I met Pat Buchanan, and I introduced myself, and he said, oh, they didn't know you were a conservative blogger when they brought you up here, did they? I said, oh, yeah, they did. And he says, I bet you were the only one. (laughs) And I fell out laughing. They had hired three of us. I was the only conservative. The other two were the most far-left people to this day, some of the most far-left people I have ever met. Um, And that's actually when I met, uh, really got to be friends with Joe Scarborough up there at that time. Um, Scarborough Country that night, at night on MSNBC, much more conservative leaning than it is now. Uh, but anyway, so I'm, I was up at MSNBC and literally the producer who was in charge of us, they're in this roundtable room that night when Ohio comes in, it looked like John Kerry could win. He not only doesn't win, he loses big. George W. Bush got over 51% of the vote. She is on the verge of tears that her daughter is going to be dragged off to fight George Jimmy McBush Hitler Halliburton's war. I wish I was kidding. It, it, it really happened. It was like a funeral. Now, when I was at CNN, I have a lot of love and respect for CNN. They they paid me for three years, paid me better than I deserved to be a political contributor to CNN. They flew me all over the country. I, I made really good friends. I have a tremendous amount of respect for the network. But there would be people who would come up into the halls say, I love what you do. And they were whispering because they knew not to say it out loud. 
I have never once that I can recall, actually two times, I think, two times, two times while I was at CNN did I ever go on to talk about stories that were generated by right-of-center sites. But I lost count of the number of times I was asked to come on and talk about things that were on left-wing sites. Occasionally, well-reported stuff at Talking Points Memo. I think very highly of that site, even though they're left-of-center. They do really good reporting. But these other sites, that they were left-wing activist sites, and it was more commentary on news, not actual news. Uh, never did they want me to come on and talk about original reporting done at right-wing sites like Red State or Hot Air or Town Hall or some of the others. There were times I broke stories on Red State, and never did I go on to talk about those stories. But then I was at Fox for five years, and I got to tell you, Roger Ailes took me out to dinner and told me I needed to come to Fox because he didn't want me on CNN because he didn't want conservatives at CNN. Because if there was a conservative at CNN defending Fox, it would make them look balanced, and he wanted them exposed as not balanced. There was an intentional campaign by Roger Ailes to amplify the media biases of the other networks. But what I think Chuck gets wrong is that there were no media biases. There were. You know, it, it, Jay Carney, the Time Washington correspondent, went to be the White House press secretary. He was replaced by Shyla Murray as a communication director. She worked for the Wall Street Journal. Her husband, Neil King, when I pointed out the biases in her reporting as she went to work in the White House, uh, assailed me for presuming that there must be biases and there might be bias in his reporting, him being married to an Obama staffer. He now works for Fusion GPS that produced the Christopher Steele dossier. And then there was Linda Douglas of ABC News who left ABC to go work for the White House. Remember, she's the one who encouraged you to report your neighbors that they lied about Obamacare. There's Vox and Ezra Klein who worked for the Washington Post. There's the Washington Post who lets Jennifer Rubin pretend to be a conservative. On and on it goes. I will give Chuck credit, though. I I, I do. Before I get out of here, let, let me give him credit. Uh, he does say a lot that is right. He, he does call out Fox for allowing certain Republican candidates to come on and cover news and stand in for anchors. And I think that's bad journalism. They shouldn't do that. These people are running for office. It's clear they're running for office. Fox should not be in the business of picking winners, losers, particularly in a Republican primary. I do think that Fox does a lot of things that it should not do that, that is propaganda. But I also think a lot of reporters forget that Fox's opinion shows are at night and they are distinctly opinion shows. But what I like what Chuck says and what I think he does a good job of pointing out is that the response from reporters should not be to go left or to be partisan or to attack Fox. What they should do is they should remember they're in a bubble. They should remember that they have biases. They should remember they need to challenge their own presuppositions and they should do the work of reporting diligently all the time and get it right and fact check and don't try to be first, try to be accurate. And that's what reporters should do. It'd be really hard to beat them up if they were actually trying to be right, not first. If they were trying to get the whole story, if they were trying not to be biased, if they were trying to overcome their own biases. If reporters did that, we'd all be better off. It's 27 after the hour. My goodness, have I got a deal for you with Harry's razors. It really is a good deal. Uh, a lot of you have taken advantage of it. I know. <laughs> In addition to the people who reached out to me asking for the details or telling me they've gotten it, I got stopped this weekend when I was in Carrollton uh, by a listener who has taken advantage of Harry's Razors. Oddly enough, coincidentally enough, I guess I should say, I was in Target with Christy in Carrollton. Uh, they just remodeled. The, they had the 
Chinese display, and I'm walking past, and a guy is there getting a resupply of Harry's razors, and sure enough, he's a listener, and he recognized me and said he was there because of me. You can get Harry's at Walmart or Target. You can also take advantage of this deal that that listener in Carrollton did as well. For a limited time, they've got a special deal for my listeners. New customers get $5 off a shave set from Harry's with code Erickson at harrys.com. It's E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. That means you get a starter set that comes with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and travel cover, all for just 3 bucks, plus free shipping when you use my last name as your code at harrys.com. And that's Erickson, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. Join millions of guys, myself included, who've made the switch. Go to harrys.com today. Use code Erickson at checkout to claim your offer. And then once you get addicted, you can go to Target or Walmart, or you can go to harrys.com for more. Uh, it's good stuff. Uh, the Covington Police Department, if you follow me on Twitter, at E.W. Erickson, I just retweeted this, so it is the, the very top thing in my Twitter feed. I'm not going to put anything else there for the moment. The Covington Police Department uh, has put out ways you can help uh, Matt Cooper, the police officer who was shot in the head. Um, you can go to uh, Newton Federal Bank. You can go to the Covington Police Department. You can do a wire transfer. Uh, they've got all the information. Uh, there's a graphic they prepare. WSB TV has put up a graphic. You can go to WSB TV's Twitter feed right now, uh, twitter.com slash WSB TV, or go to WSB.com, uh, WSBradio.com. You can find how to help Officer Matt Cooper and his family. You're going to have a lot of medical bills to get through this. He was shot in the head. Um, he is very strong in fighting for his life. He's an army veteran. Uh, you can help officer Cooper and his family. I hope you will consider it. Uh, go to twitter.com slash EW Erickson. You can see it on my Twitter feed as well. How to help this family. We'll be back. It's 38 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. Let's go to the phones. From Atlanta, you're up next. Welcome. Thank you. I'm a long-time listener. I've called a few times. I just want to say I do agree with you about the uh, bias when it comes down to reporting. Uh, I just kind of want to get your take on a prol- proliferation, though, because at the end of the day, yes, media bias existed. It was left-leaning. Uh, but now there's equal and opposite right media. And oh, yeah. And there's just as many sources to go to. So now what do we do instead of anybody going back to trying to be reporting is who can build up their side? Right. Uh, you're very, very, very right. And, you know, this used to be the way it was in the country until the turn of the 20th century, where you had uh, Democrat publications, Republican publications. In fact, you, you've got a, a lot of. Uh, news publications that still carry that over, like the Arizona Republic, uh, was a Republican um, newspaper. There, there are numerous newspapers around the country that have Democrat in their name. They were the Democratic Party newspaper. Over time, journalist standards evolved in the United States to try to make it um, so that there were um, fact-based reporting. With the rise of the Associated Press in particular, uh, you would have the the partisanship left on the editorial page, and reporters tried to get just the who, what, where, when, why, and how. Uh, but in the last 40 years or so, and really it's picked up in the last 15 years, as millennials have gotten out of J school, it, reporting is no longer about telling what happened. Reporting is about advocacy. 
It's why, for example, the Washington Post, uh, the Kermit Gosnell story, the, the abortionist who was, uh, caused women to die and was flushing live children down the toilet, uh, that was considered a local crime story by the Washington Post reporter who would have otherwise covered it. Uh, she is now at the left-leaning Vox, uh, kind of exposing her biases there. Uh, reporting bias really does undermine the institution, uh, and you got to rely on others to try to tell you the truth. Listen, I I know Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh is a friend of mine. Rush Limbaugh does not start his day every day uh, trying to figure out how to attack the media. All he does is highlight the biases in the media. I mean, and the reason so many conservatives, myself included, spend so much time on liberal bias these days is that conservatives tend to be divided on a lot these days, but we all agree on media bias, and it's worth highlighting on a regular basis. To the extent that the media is being undermined by attacks from Fox News and whatnot, a lot of it is self-inflicted wounds. I mean, look at NBC today. It's kind of unfortunate. Chuck Todd made really good points. Ultimately, in his piece, a lot of conservatives just just attacked it immediately uh, for the Roger Ailes stuff, but he made some really good points. I encourage everybody to read the article. You can go to theresurgent.com and find the link to it in my response to him. But uh, today it came out that more and more people are coming forward who worked at NBC saying they killed the Ronan Farrow story exposing Harvey Weinstein. And you still got NBC executives saying, no, 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 the story wasn't ready. And yet we've got more people coming forward. This time, one of the victims saying she was willing to go on the record on camera with NBC and they refused. Roger Ailes didn't do that. Um, I think if the media is more willing to recognize that it has biases and biases are often things we don't recognize in ourselves and that makes it hard. But if they did it, uh, their reporting could be improved. Now, I want to switch gears dramatically here because I had a number of things I wanted to talk about, including the, the stupid Nike ad with Colin Kaepernick and the Bob Woodward book. We can get into that stuff later. But um, Casey Cagle has set up a committee in the legislature. Um, Senator Steve Gooch is going to chair it to look at pushing vacation time uh, for schools. And I, I got a bone to pick with school systems in Georgia. I realize that there are many school districts who have decided to shorten the summer and extend vacations throughout the school year so you get a longer thanksgiving a longer christmas uh you get uh like i mean my kids get columbus day and the day after columbus day off for a fall break and they got a reciprocal thing in the spring and all that martin luther king they get extended time around there i got a real problem with these short summer vacations i when i was in school Memorial Day to Labor Day was your time. You know, in Texas, they have what they call the Six Flags rule. In Texas, Six Flags lobby the legislature so that school cannot start before Labor Day because of the tourism industry. And that's essentially what's happening now is that Georgia's uh, entertainment venues and whatnot are convinced that by bringing kids back in this very short summer season, they're losing revenue that they would otherwise get. It's bad for their business. Y'all, this really is just Doug right there mentioning traffic. You've got this compressed summer vacation schedule now. And so everybody essentially has to go to Disney at the exact same time. Everybody's going to Six Flags at the same time. Yeah, you can't spread these things out over the summer. Uh, A lot of folks north of us, uh, Virginia and, and north, go back to school after September. Now, part of that institutionally in the Virginia, Maryland area is because Congress takes an August recess. And in those areas with lots of federal employees, they take August as well. But 
I think that Memorial Day to Labor Day should be summer vacation. You can call me old-fashioned, that's fine. Uh, to the extent that kids are forgetting stuff and they're having to relearn it when they go back to school, that's the fault of the parents. The parents should be engaging their kids during the summer. And the teachers are going to be dealing with that anyway. You, you, you can't tell me that they remember everything for two months and it's just that third month of summer that causes them to forget everything. Baloney. They have the same problem regardless. I am really, really just, uh, it, it frustrates me to no end, the shortened summer schedule. You know, it used to be, even when mine are now, my, my daughter just turned 13. Oh my God, I'm getting old. I got a nine-year-old and a 13-year-old. But even when when our kids, when they were first starting in school, you would get to the point naturally in the summer where you're ready to get them out of the house. You are ready for school to start. You are firing up Andy Williams. It's the most wonderful time of the year, which I do every year on the day, day before school starts. But you have this natural point in the summer where you're like, oh my God, we've got to get the kids back to school. They're annoying us. None of us do that anymore. We're all like, oh, I can't believe it's already over. We want to win a more beach trip. I am a firm advocate of longer summer vacation. A Memorial Day to Labor Day, that should be your vacation. That that should be your school. And if that means that you got you can't do two days for Columbus Day and you can't do an extra week in the spring and, and on and on and on, it's nuts. But to start school August 1st, like some school districts did, that is absurd and offensive and a disservice to parents and kids and teachers and everyone else. It is just ridiculous. I am adamantly opposed to it. We can do better. Fifty-three after the hour. Let's go back to the phones here on WSB. Joe from Locust Grove, you are up next. Welcome. Thanks, Eric. Uh, look, I just want to say real quick, like I promised your screener, I'll make it short and sweet. This morning, it was a successful ambush by the Democrats. I give them credit. The Republicans, they have no fire in their belly. They don't push back hard enough. There's no fighters, no warriors. I give a lot of credit to Ben Sass. I tuned in and off. I might have missed a few, but I think the Republicans, I need to, they need a crash course in fight. Well, you know, Ted Cruz also pointed out that elections have consequences, as Barack Obama once said. He quoted Obama on that, uh, and I think he was right there. But by and large, I think the Republican strategy today was let the Democrats vent. Uh, let, let them get it all out of their system. Let them have their show. Nothing's going to stop Kavanaugh. And if anything, uh, letting the Democrats do all of this, uh, and blow up and not be able to stop the process shows that Republicans are united behind him. What I think is really interesting about the democratic strategy of, of harassment is that they've given up trying to convince the center. They've given up trying to convince moderate Republicans to vote with them. And they're just now playing for their base. And I think that largely signals up front that uh, they're defeated on this. They know it and they can't stop it. Uh, by the way, uh, Mike Pence is coming back to Georgia. He will be here September 13th. He is going to host a big deal for Brian Kemp against Stacey Abrams. Uh, now he came in right before the primary after the president endorsed Kemp, did a big event down in Macon that I emceed. They'll be doing this event at a hotel in Atlanta, raising money for the Kemp campaign, uh, which will also be a big deal. You know, the data is out there for anyone to see. All the Democrats saying that this is going to be a super competitive race. The data actually shows that the Republican turnout in Georgia is exceeding Democratic turnout. Now, I know 
we're not supposed to point that out because I know there is a lot of emotion invested in the idea that Democrats are more mobilized than Republicans. And nationwide, that is true. But you got to remember, go back to 2006. In 2006, you had the massive blue Democratic wave washed out the Republicans and put Nancy Pelosi in as Speaker of the House. First time a woman became Speaker of the House, Democrats had a huge wave nationwide. They didn't have it in Georgia. Republicans made gains in Georgia in 2006. Now, this year, there will be some swing seats in urban areas um, that probably will see some Democrats pick them up. You will probably see the Republican supermajorities in the legislature go away because there are some Republican-held seats in pretty Democratic areas. And in urban areas around Atlanta, you are going to see some big turnout. But statewide, the Republican primary turnout exceeded the Democratic turnout. Same thing happened in Florida. You got all the this ooh and ah over the Democratic turnout. Well, Republicans exceeded Democrats in Florida. Republicans exceeded Democrats in Arizona. Republicans exceeded Democrats in Georgia. The media is not pointing that out. They're pointing to this nationwide trend in poll. And by the way, the Democrats have rebounded pretty significantly in the generic ballot. And you can say it's registered voters. It should be likely voters. But the Democratic intensity is so much that even the likely voter models have more Democrats in them right now. But those don't necessarily apply to Georgia. And nobody wants to tell you about it. Don't be surprised if Republicans do good in Georgia, including Brian Kemp Winnie, which he's going to do.